All right, phone lines wide open. You've got questions. We've got answers. It's time for The Line of Fire with your host, activist, author, international speaker, and theologian, Dr. Michael Brown, your voice of moral, cultural, and spiritual revolution. Michael Brown is the director of the Coalition of Conscience and president of Fire School of Ministry. Get into The Line of Fire now by calling 866-34-TRUTH. That's 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. All right, we are ready to go. Phone lines are open. We are here live in studio, 866-348-7884. Any question you have for me on any level, anything that relates to the line of fire, anything that's appropriate for Christian radio, if you have a difference of opinion and you want to share that with me briefly and get my feedback, 866-348-7884 is the number to call. All my friends in Jacksonville, Florida, Please join me this weekend for a very, very special conference with my dear friends from Tikkun. Ron Cantor and others will be there. So Friday night, so uh, tonight and then all day Saturday, I'll be speaking Saturday night. This will be held at Celebration Church, Pastor Stovall Weems in Jacksonville. And then I'll be speaking on Sunday morning there at Celebration Church. So if you're anywhere nearby, by all means, come out and join us. 866-34-TRUTH. I'm going to go straight to the phones, and then I want to give you an update on something very unfortunate that you need to know about, and then we're going to speak blessing publicly, all right? So let us go to the phones, and we'll start with Lane in Alabama. Welcome to the Line of Fire. Um, after, afternoon, Dr. Brown. Hello. Um, how, afternoon, Dr. Brown. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, are, are you speaking yes, to me directly um, into your yeah, phone or Lane. through speaker? Are you speaking on speakerphone, sir? Uh, no, no. Okay, all right. Just a little hard to uh, hear you, but go for it, please. Okay. Yes, I was. I was in Oklahoma City and heard you speak on Israel's divine healer, and I just want you to know it was it was a life changing message for me. And we were one of the uh, three Alabama guys that had their picture made with you, by the way, in your hotel as you stayed across the street. I I remember remember meeting you guys. Yeah, Yeah, my my friend Bobby and and Michael, and it was just a wonderful experience. Um, Also, um, recent torchbearer. In fact, another one of my friends become a torchbearer because of being out there, number one. Come on. Awesome. Yeah, seeing – and and I mean this sincerely, seeing your, your humility the anointing of the Spirit, and seeing the camaraderie, um, the spiritual camaraderie, and seeing you guys, you and Sam, these guys worship together, was a remarkable experience. And uh, the power of God was there. And so it's just been wonderful. And read um, the Jezebel book, um, Hands Are Same With Blood, um, yours and Craig Keener's book, and recently got the Job commentary, which I'm just just loving. By the way, it's just thank um, you. That is that is really gracious of you, and I am so pleased to hear that. Wonderful, wonderful news. Great. Well, here's my question. I um, been in recovery for addiction for quite a while. I work a lot in the area of, of with mental illness because I was hospitalized in the past with a psychotic break, but the Lord is just doing a great work. I still have struggles, but I minister a lot in that area out of my brokenness. Mm. And so, so much of what you talked about, um, um, I kind of relate back now, After, especially I got the Bible, um, 
the Tree of Life version. And uh, the whole concept of shalom, in terms of my prayer over people who are struggling, specifically mentally and emotionally, um, is so what so much what comes to mind. Is that a concept in the Jewish mind? I know it's not salvation per se, but is it a component of that total healing and completeness of mind, soul, body, etc.? Is yeah, that yes, appropriate sir. to pray? Yes. Shalom is not simply peace. It is overall well-being. Uh, it is a, a sense of, of wholeness that comes with it. It is not primarily the absence of, of strife or war, but it is right. well-being and wholeness. So it is, it is peace in a holistic way. In modern Hebrew, when you greet someone, you say, Mashlamcha, which is literally, what is your peace? But it's colloquially, how are you? In Isaiah 53, Musar Shalomenu Alav, the, the punishment that brought us shalom is upon him. Uh, Isaiah 26, 3, Yetzer Samuch Titzor Shalom Shalom Kivachabatuach, the, the mind stayed on you, you'll keep in shalom, shalom, because in you it trusts. So yes, it includes oh, that oh. larger sense of, of wholeness, of well-being, and uh, it is not specifically a, a healing word. In, in other words, it is not primarily a word used for healing the sick, but it does speak of overall wholeness, well-being. So, for example, if we had massive racial strife in America, if we had uh, riots in the streets, if we had all types of epidemics of addictions, opioid addictions and alcohol addictions and our families falling apart, and yet there was absolutely no war in America in terms of physical war, that would not be shalom in any sense of the word, as I think you understand. Hey, Lane, thank you for the kind words, and may the Lord, con- uh, may, may the Lord continue to help you to walk in the fullness of his shalom so that you can impart it to others. God bless you, and thank you for the kind words. 866-34-TRUTH. Let's go to New Providence, Pennsylvania. Anita, welcome to the Line of Fire. Hi, Dr. Brown. How are you? Doing very well. Thank you. So my question is, and it comes about um, from this week, I went to minister to a family, and um, while the father is quite versed in um, the lot logical discussion that wasn't why I was there, and I really wasn't sure that I wanted to get into a debate. So my question comes in, can you give me some theological reference to, is he correct in saying that once we die to Christ and we are risen in Christ, we are no longer um, needing to have free will. He doesn't believe that we're under free will or choice, that God no longer needs to give us free will or choice, but that we are um, actually deceived. Everything is under deception then. Well, that's uh, all he—okay, if you're accurately presenting his very strange idea, all he did is create a complete world of deception. All he did is deny— the truth of the entire Bible, uh, and especially the New Testament, which continually calls us to choose the good and refuse the evil, which continually calls us to do what's right and to refuse what's wrong. 
which continually calls us to walk in dark, walk in the light and renounce the darkness, and which tells us to turn away from sin in our own lives, that we can sin as believers, but that we need to repent and turn away from it. So the constant calls to repent, the constant admonishments for the consequences of sin tell us that, yes, as believers, we have free will. On a daily basis, we can say yes to the Lord or no to the Lord. If we say no to him, he will correct us and even discipline us. If we say yes, he'll bless us. And he's empowered us to say yes and given us a heart to say yes. But just start reading anywhere in the New Testament. Start reading any of the letters written to believers, and they're told, do this, don't do this, and here are the consequences of not obeying, here are the blessings of obeying, right till the end. So that's an utterly bizarre position. I have no idea, not, not, not any idea where he could possibly even get the slightest notion to back that up. To be honest, yeah, with you. I wasn't sure either, and 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 because I don't study Greek and Hebrew and what he was trying to convince me of, and my mind was not focused on that discussion. He was trying yeah. to distract me from the mission of what God had sent me there for. I think more than to actually, you know, yeah, that he was correct. Yeah, Anita, here's the short version. You don't need Hebrew or Greek to know he's dead wrong. Uh, again, if you if you accurately understood what he was saying, because it's such a bizarre position, it sounds easy to misunderstand what his point may have been. But there's not a syllable of the Greek or Hebrew that would support what he's arguing for. Wow. If you got that right, that's bizarre. 866-34-TRUTH. Let's go to Bob in Chattanooga, Tennessee. Welcome to the Line of Fire. Hey, Dr. Brown. Uh, I just had a little simple question about the Leverite marriage law. Uh, yeah. And all the commentaries I look at and stuff online, they're just interested in telling you that the guy doesn't have to marry the woman and she'll take the sandal off and slap him in the face with it. But I was wondering, if this, say the younger, the, uh, the older brother dies with no children and the younger brother is married and that's all the brothers he's got, is that supposed to be are you supposed to take another wife uh polygamous polygamy or, or what how, how does that work yes sir a very fair and good question some would argue that it presupposes that the brother is single because god would never advocate polygamy in any way shape size or form so it would have to be that the brother is single and therefore when his brother dies if he's single then he's required to marry the the wife if, if there were no children that had been born or, uh, to, to, the, to the brother to carry on the brother's name. Some would claim that, but the text doesn't explicitly say that. And if the brother refused, then he'd be publicly shamed. So others would say, no, it, it presupposes that there could be polygamy. And we know, for example, in Deuteronomy 17, that it was required of the king that he not have too many wives. So polygamy was something that was common in Old Testament times, That was never God's ideal. God did not create Adam and Eve and Yvette and Yvonne. He didn't do that. And we also know that Jesus reiterates in the New Testament, Matthew 19, 4 through 6, that marriage in God's sight is the union of one man and one woman for life, and that Paul required that to be an elder, 1 Timothy 3, that you could be the husband of but one wife. So we know what God's ideal and standard was, but just like Jesus tells us in in Matthew 19, that God gave the divorce laws 
in the Torah, Deuteronomy 24, because of the hardness of heart. It was not God's desire or will, but it was because of the hardness of heart that God said, all right, I have to accommodate and put in something about divorce. It could well be the same thing that in this particular law, yes, polygamy would be uh, a necessary outcome of this in order to preserve uh, a family line in Israel. It can be debated because the text is not explicit, but because it's not explicit and doesn't say that the man had to be single, you could well say, yes, that polygamy would have been the result of this. Another example of where God is dealing with people under the Sinai Covenant in a way that is not fully expressive of everything in his utmost will. Thank you for the call. It's the Line of Fire with your host, Dr. Michael Brown. Get into the Line of Fire now by calling 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Hey, friends, I was just informed by a team member that Bishop Talbert Swan is in our chat room uh, on YouTube right now. Bishop Swan, if that's really you, I'm glad you're there, sir. All right. I know that you feel very negatively towards me. You feel that I've attacked you, uh, differing with some of your tweets. You've labeled me a white supremacist, guilty of slaveholder religion and things like that. Would you call in the show and share with my listeners why you feel this way about me? I bless you in our differences. All right. If you know Jesus, get used to me, buddy, because you're going to be with me forever and ever and ever. All right. So if you curse me, hate me, I'm going to reply with blessing. But please call the show, 866-34-TRUTH. You say, no, that's not good. You control the mic. You set up the platform, sir, where we can both speak honestly and openly, all right, where we each have equal time with a moderator, all right, or where we talk behind the scenes. Tell you what, I'm going to have my office give you my cell phone number, all right, today, before the day's out. I'm going to have someone call your office and give you my cell phone number so we can talk, on the phone, if you prefer, or if you'd like a show to come on my on my show. All right, I'm sure you have plenty tons of platform. You don't need me. You don't need my show. All right, but because you have a strong viewpoint that I strongly differ with. All right, here's my open invitation to you. You come on my show, and I'll give you a whole segment. So say like 10, 12 minutes, where you just say what you want to say about me, white evangelicals, whatever. Okay. Just obviously you have to use appropriate language for, for radio, Christian radio. But you, I'll just let you speak a whole segment. And if you want to stay on and interact with me, we'll do it. Otherwise, I'll respond after. So it's there. I, I'm, I'm giving you an open platform. I'm giving you an open platform. All right? 866-34-TRUTH is the number to call. Uh, and, if sir, if you're trying to get through and the lines are jammed, then just post it there. And we'll do our best to, to get you a line to call in. Or you give us a number and we'll call you. All right? I'm very, very serious about this. Uh, I'm going to go back to the phones in a moment. But for those who don't know what's been going on, someone sent me a, a tweet from Bishop Swan. And he had made comments about white evangelicals being white supremacists. So I took issue with it graciously in an article. I took issue. And that then led to 
some pretty intense Twitter exchanges in the midst of which I kept saying, hey, let's talk. Let's dialogue. Let's talk. Let's dialogue. You posted your views publicly. I posted a public response. I'm happy to talk. So as things continue to go on, uh, and Kai, let's just grab those slides. I, I posted this, all right? Um, my prayer for those falsely and dangerously throwing around the white supremacist charge. This is my public prayer. May the love of the Father flood your heart. May you come to know Jesus in a way you never have before. And may the spirit of truth prevail in your life. When you curse me, I bless you. All right, so then Bishop Swan responded, my prayer for you bigots denying the white supremacist charge. So just notice the difference in tone for whatever it's worth. This is why my heart goes out to Bishop Swan and those in his camp, because there's something blinding him from, if, if he can see these things about me, he, he's got the wrong glasses on. I'll, I'll stand with him side by side to confront systemic uh, injustice and oppression and racism in our country, side by side, in a heartbeat, have, will, okay? So this was his, uh, may the love of the Father flood your heart, so my prayer, may you come to know Jesus in a way you never have before, may the spirit of truth prevail in your life when you curse us, you curse yourself. So I saw that, either it was forwarded to me or someone tweeted it. So this is how then I responded. Let's go to the next one. Well, here's the difference between Bishop Swan and myself. I speak blessings to him. He speaks curses to me. And rather than curse him, I say we should talk and we should work together against injustice. In turn, he slanders. May the Lord give him grace. All right, here's what comes next. Here's the difference between you and I. I speak truth about injustice and promote a gospel of liberation. You're a white supremacist who preaches a gospel of oppression against those who don't ascribe to your whitenized slaveholder brand of Christianity. You know, it's, it's such a pity to see someone who has as much influence as Bishop Swan and who's a leader in a Pentecostal church. I'm Pentecostal myself. And I probably have a lot in common with it. It's so terribly sad to see him have such horrifically wrong perceptions about a brother in Jesus who, who stands against injustice and, 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 it, and is often spoken about the unrighteousness of those saying gay is the new black or transgender is the new black and what a dishonor that is to the African-American community and how ungodly it is to compare the, the history of, of African-Americans with, with gay history in America. And by the way, it's not just me. Just a couple more tweets. A couple more tweets. It, it's not just me. This is the broad brush with which Bishop Swan is now painting. White evangelicalism is white supremacy and drag. White evangelicalism is white supremacy and drag. And I finally said, okay, with the last attacks, I'm just blocking because on the heels of his stuff was a flood of even uglier stuff flooding my, my Twitter inbox constantly, all right, or my, my Twitter feed. So I blocked him, and I told him, here's why. And he said, another white supremacist knockout. I responded, you're blocked for consistent false accusations, lying, slander, and refusing a dialogue. When you're open to talk, I'm quite available. Feel free to congratulate yourself. You only knocked yourself out. So, friends, the difference between the gospel of Jesus and the modern gospel of social justice is the gospel of Jesus unites races through forgiveness, reconciliation, truth, and justice. The gospel of social justice is not really the gospel. It divides races. It divides them in many different ways. It divides them through spreading hatred and bitterness and false accusation. And instead of saying, hey, let's stand against injustice together, it, it creates deeper divisions. It's sad. But Bishop Swan, in the name of Jesus, I bless you. If you're a brother in the Lord just speaking out of anger or hurt and you've misperceived me, 
I forgive you. Let me say it again. If you're a brother in the Lord, I look forward to getting to know you, either in this world or the world to come. But you better get used to me because I'm going to be around here and in the world to come by the grace and love of God. You say, but if you support the president, then you... I don't support everything about the president. I opposed him hotly during the primaries. I've been grieved over many of his comments. This day, he does things that grieve me. But I vote for him versus a, a radical leftist liberal that supports baby killing, that supports redefining marriage, that doesn't stand with Israel, that oppresses and suppresses religious rights and liberties. Yeah, I'm going to vote for Donald Trump versus one of them. But I don't feel any need to defend everything he does. Lots of things he does grieve me. I just wrote an article. It should be out. It's up on different sites already. Don't fall into the trap of trying to defend the president for everything. All right, 866-34-TRUTH. Uh, let's just see. Uh, we go to Nathaniel in California. Thanks for holding, and welcome to the line of fire. Thank you, Dr. Brown, so much for your, uh, taking my call. Um, I'm grateful for your ministry, and uh, especially that you're a good example confronting people like uh, Dr. E. Michael Jones and the bishop here. Um, it's just a great role model for me as a young Christian. Um, I had a question regarding anti-Semitism. I'm writing a research paper at my community college, and I was interested in uh, any recommendations that you had for uh, sources, data, um, to, mm-hmm. just to show how much of a real problem it is. Yeah, all right. So uh, I, I'm writing a book now on confronting contemporary mm-hmm. Christian anti-Semitism, which will then go hand-in-hand hand with my book, Our Hands Are Stained With Blood. So first, there's, there's a, a book that just came out called The List, okay? That, that's what it's called. And it is literally a list of every hostile act of church leaders against the Jewish people over the last 1,800 years or so, okay? So that's, that's a real eye-opener, all right? Um, a book by Deborah Lipstadt. So I, I don't have the author's names in front of me, but you'll find it. Deborah Lipstadt, she confronted Holocaust deniers for years. She's got an important new book, Anti-Semitism Here and Now. Very, very important. Deborah Lipstadt, so that's L-I-P-S-T-A-D-T. Well-known professor, highly respected in this area. Anti-Semitism Here and Now. Uh, You can also check out the book uh, Holy Hatred. Christianity, anti-Semitism, and the Holocaust. So that's called Holy Hatred. And I'm just looking for one more source. Uh, Was it metaphysical? Let me just check. Uh, One of the books I was reading recently that was very, very helpful. And here we go. David Patterson. David Patterson. Anti-Semitism and its Metaphysical Origins. Anti-Semitism and its metaphysical origins. All right? Okay. David Patterson. Um, Now, uh, let me just say this really quickly. I've run into two people today online who both of you said, both said, we're younger generation. We don't buy this anti-Semitism garbage. All the more reason that we need to inform them because this is how tragedies happen in history. Yeah, we've got a minute before the break. Back to you, Nathaniel. Okay. Yeah. No. It was just. It was just. You. You. You're right. Uh, right on where I was going to ask. Uh, I've, I'm seeing a lot of anti-Semitism growing in like the America First movement. A lot of Generation Z, and yeah. I was kind of curious on how to interact with them. Um, and you've just shown to be a good example with 
kind of confronting people. Hey, here's my personal information. Let's have a real discussion. So yeah, and uh, and the other thing, yeah, the other thing, Nathaniel, is is that the younger generation has a passion for social justice, but often is is very microcosmic in its view. In other words, Israel's evil because they built a wall. Well, no, no. Israel built a fence with a wall in some places to keep terrorists and murderers out. Isn't that, isn't that a good thing? And Israel wants to live in peace with its neighbors. So what you want to do is get them off the micro and look at the macro. And their perception, Jews in America have all the power. Israel is the Goliath oppressing the poor neighbors. They need to look at the larger picture so that having a heart for justice, they will com- combat anti-Semitism. We'll be right back. The Line of Fire with your host, Dr. Michael Brown, your voice of moral, cultural, and spiritual revolution. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Thanks, friends, for joining us on The Line of Fire. You've got questions. We've got answers. 866-348-7884. We go back to the phones. Where are we going to start? Right here in Tampa, Florida. Stephen, welcome to The Line of Fire. Hey, Dr. Brown. How have you been? Very well. Blessed. Thank you. Good. Um, I'm doing well also. Um, I have a question uh, about theology and between the Wesleyan holiness or sanctification versus the Pentecostal, uh, some more, I guess you would say, traditional Pentecostals, uh, that what Christ finished on the cross, and if you're truly saved, then you will fully live by that way while, you know, sanctification through life and maturity to that point. Um, as you know, I'm in Bible college at a Pentecostal school. Uh, I don't believe they believe in the, the tr- more traditional way. I believe they do hold a sanctification through life, and I really struggle with that, and I just wanted to know if you could uh, bring yeah. some wisdom into that for me. Yeah, a- actually, in origin, the views were pretty much identical. The early Pentecostal movement, I'm not talking about through history, but in the 20th century, beginning of the 20th century, came out of Wesleyan holiness circles. They simply believed that you had to get to a point of complete sanctification before you could even be baptized in the Spirit. But Wesley one of the ways that he knew he was converted was because in the past he was always overcome by sin. Now he was overcoming it. So what we have in common and what I see as thoroughly scriptural is this, that in Jesus, we now have victory over sin. In Jesus, we have the possibility of obeying God, which we didn't have when we were in the flesh, that we have been given a new nature, that in him we've died to sin and have to consider ourselves dead to sin and alive to God. And not only that, that we are, uh, we are empowered by the Spirit, empowered by grace to live holy lives, and that Jesus has destroyed the works of the devil, meaning Satan's power over us uh, to enslave us in sin. However, as long as we are in this world, there's a process, there's growth. So when I got saved, I got miraculously, wonderfully delivered from the, the 
the clearest outward sins that bound me, you know, shooting drugs and getting high and, and drinking and things like that. But from that day till this, I've been growing. I've been seeking to become more like Jesus and more disciplined and, and more gracious and more full of love and more full of truth. So you you get tremendous breakthrough victory, begin to experience the, the realities of the new nature, and now the rest of your life in the Lord say no to sin and yes to God. Leonard Ravenhill also used to say that you have crisis and then gradual growth and crisis. In other words, you know you need to break through. Something's terribly wrong. The Holy Spirit's highlighting this in your life. You cry out to God and you have a tremendous breakthrough. You grow, 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 grow. Then many years later, you hit another wall. You see flesh in your life. You can't seem to change. You cry out. You have that breakthrough and you grow from there. I think that is very true to our experience. But overall, it's wrong to think we should be lifelong slaves of sin. It's wrong to think that we'll never struggle with sin. It's right to think that in Jesus, we have victory over sin and the ability by his grace to obey God and say no to sin, but we will never be perfect in this world. Can I, can I have a follow-up to what Go you ahead. said? Sure. Um, because I, I have been battling this, and I totally agree in the uh, sanctification through life, becoming more like Christ as we mature in the faith. And I read a lot of Paul's writings, especially in Romans, about maturing in the faith. Mm-hmm. And, and, and and putting off the old and putting on the new. But I think it's also a mindset, like, you know, in Romans 12, that he talks about that it's a battle of the mind, you know, spirit, soul, heart. Yeah, And right. I just, I, I'm just convicted and convinced that Paul said, why do I do the things I don't do? But who's going to save me? So he wasn't even at that point. Of, but but, but, but here, Stephen, here's where I differ. You gotta, you can't stop in Romans 7. And Paul is really talking about life under the law there, all right? You gotta keep reading to Romans 8. You, you gotta keep reading into Romans 8. And so we must renew our minds. Look, Romans 7 does not contradict Romans 6, nor does it undermine Romans 8. It's got to be read in the larger context. I have an appendix in my book, Go and Sin No More, that just focuses on the question of Romans 7 can never use Romans 7 to undo the rest of the testimony of Paul. And remember, Paul used himself as an example to the Thessalonians and said, look at how holy a life I live. That's surely not a man that was a slave to sin. So we renew our minds, consider ourselves dead to sin, alive in God, and through the Spirit, that's Romans 6, through the Spirit, we put to death the deeds of the body, Romans 6 and Romans 8. Hey, thank you, sir, for the calls and the questions, but please... Don't let Romans 7 undermine or deny Romans 6 or Romans 8. 866-34-TRUTH. Let's go to Jeff in Ranger, Georgia. Welcome to the Line of Fire. Thank you, Dr. Michael Brown. It's a pleasure to talk to you. I'm a couple of years older than you. I was I came to Christ at 18 in Westchester County, New York, and received the baptism of the Holy Spirit in Montreat, North Carolina, where I was going to school that freshman year. Um I have been walking with the Lord a long time, but just recently really have been digging and plowing into the Word of God deeper than I've ever done before. Ran across Bart Irwin on the in, uh, on the Internet and all these uh, debates with him and Dr. Wallace and uh, just people defending the Scriptures. And then last night and reading about the inerrancy or watching Spruill, R.C. Spruill, and 
and uh, John MacArthur on mm-hmm. the inspiration of the word and um, and uh, the uh, and and the of the word. And of course, uh, John MacArthur was defending that there's no that the inspiration of the scriptures is God breathed, and that there's nothing else beyond that after Revelation, based on mm-hmm. his using the scripture chapter twenty two. 18, where it's talking about the curse that goes with adding right. to. But as a Pentecostal charismatic, I've known that I have received inspiration from the Lord, not new inspiration. I've not received any new doctrine. But um, but I have, you know, I have received guidance. Yeah, t- tell you what, I, I just got to jump in, only because I'm flooded with calls and want to be fair to everyone. So if you could just give me the question, that would really be helpful, because I, well, I want to do my your, best to help. What is your take on the the gifts of the Holy Spirit versus being God-breathed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, so very simply, that the Bible is the Bible. Set apart, period, end of subject. L- listen to my show from last week, Is the Bible Enough? The Bible is the Word of God. It gives us authoritative statements on who God is, authoritative statements on salvation, authoritative statements on what God requires of us. Period. The end. Nothing else like it, ever. Before it, after it. End of subject. And the Holy Spirit continues to speak in many ways as he has through history. He spoke many things in the New Testament, many prophetic words, but they're not recorded in the Bible because they weren't the Bible. So if you're praying about, Lord, do you want me to take this job or that job? And he shows you which job to take. That's not adding to the Bible. If you and your family are praying, Lord, are, are you calling us to serve here in the inner city or to go overseas in the mission field? We really need your guidance. And someone gives you a prophetic word. I see you've been praying about something very deep. And the Lord says, uh, the answer is right in your own backyard, and you say, ah, we're supposed to be in the inner city. That's not adding to the Bible. So God continues to speak. The Bible tells us God continues to speak. Acts 2, dreams and visions are for the last days. Prophecy is for the last days. Paul writes in the Bible that we should pursue, uh, eagerly desire prophecy. All right? So that's, that's in the Bible. So the, Jesus says, John 10, my sheep hear my voice. So the Bible tells me God continues to speak and lead. All right, so I believe the Bible. Uh, if you don't have my book, Authentic Fire, I really encourage you to get that, okay? I really encourage you to get the book, Authentic Fire. I deal with this directly, and my friend Sam Storms has a great appendix in the book dealing explicitly with the issue of prophecy. So it's a misunderstanding of the nature of Scripture, how it is set apart and unique from everything else. There are many prophetic words God gave in the Old Testament that aren't recorded in the Bible. So God speaks, continues to speak, but it's not the Bible, which is the Word of God. God breathed in a unique way, separate from everything else before and after. Thank you, sir, for the question. Again, the book, Authentic Fire, will really be of help to you. 866-34-TRUTH. We go to Brandon in Everett, Michigan. Welcome to the Line of Fire. Hi, how's it going? Going very well. Um, I have a question I don't know how to really phrase it. Uh, a friend of mine, he used to be like a Satan worshiper. You know, he called demons and stuff. And eventually he tried to kill himself. Mm-hmm. He had an experience with God, and he's changed his life ever since then. Praise God. And he went into Messianic Judaism. Mm-hmm. And after a few months in there, he's like, no, this is all corrupt, you know. But then turned on me and said that, well, you don't celebrate the feast days, and you're not doing this right. You're not doing that right. Uh, and I'm like, well, does, doesn't God have kind of a place for each group of people? 
how the Jews are treated, isn't that kind of different than how the Gentiles are create, or treated? Is How do I phrase this? Um, he says that salvation only comes through accepting Jesus Christ. And then I right. read in Romans 2, uh, 2 through like 16, it pretty much says, no, it's your actions. It's your actions. It's what are you doing with your life? Are you... Yeah, so, so Brandon, yeah, I, I, can, I can answer. Here, here's the short answer for you. Uh, your friend has had an extreme reaction, is what he's had. And, and here's what's happened. The church in history swung so far away from its Jewish roots that it actually persecuted Jewish people, that it, it, it actually spawned and fostered anti-Semitism, that it actually intentionally separated, say, the celebration of Easter from the celebration of Passover. This was under Constantine. I mean, a very explicit separation. These things happen. And for a Jew to follow Jesus and live the way Paul or Peter did, they'd be excluded. So it swung this way. Then you have Messianic Jewish congregations saying, hey, we're just following the example of our forefathers, you know, in the faith, Jewish believers in Jesus. And we're celebrating the death and resurrection of Jesus during the Passover. And we're, Christmas is not in the Bible, so we, we celebrate the birth of Jesus during tabernacles, or if we do, or Hanukkah, like Jesus probably celebrated based on John 10 and so it swung back, but then there's the extreme there. Messianic Jews go to the extreme where they condemn everything that the rest of the church does. The happy medium is, let us honor one another in the Lord. Let us affirm Jewish believers who live as Jews, and let us affirm Gentile believers who don't feel called to do that. The key is found, sir, in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 17 and 18. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 17 and 18. Unfortunately, your friend has swung to an extreme. Help him get back close to the middle. How? By focusing on Jesus, Yeshua, focusing on the basics. Hey, thank you for the call, sir. It's the Line of Fire with your host, activist, author, international speaker, and theologian, Dr. Michael Brown. Your voice of moral, cultural, and spiritual revolution. Get into the line of fire now by calling 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. You know, one good thing when you get attacked and you bless in return, you, you have joy. You feel bad for the attackers, but you have joy in your own heart. The Holy Spirit floods your heart with fresh love, and you're not bothered. You go about doing your business and ministering the gospel. When you get in the flesh, you just... It's always something's not right. If you're a follower of Jesus, you get in the flesh, or bitterness, or anger, then something's always churning in you, and you're not right. So, hey, I just want to say this to others. Someone sinned against you, forgive them. They may have to make things right, and, and maybe they've done things that will require restoration, but in your heart, forgive. Free, it'll free you, too. It'll free you. 866-34-TRUTH. Let's go to Nicole in Austin, Texas. Thanks for holding. Welcome to the Line of Fire. Hi, Dr. Brown. Hey. Well, you were kind of talking about it, the flesh, and your previous caller was talking about Romans 8. And that's my question. Um, I was wondering your answer on the flesh and the spirit. Are, are we two different beings? Because the flesh is against God, you know, anger, sexual immorality, adulteries in the flesh— and I guess I struggle with understanding, because, you know, the flesh dies. Are we considered two separate beings? 
Yeah, there are many different ways to, to understand this, Nicole. I'm going to be as simple and clear as I can, but it's a great question. On the one hand, does the flesh mean our physical body? Well, obviously more than that, because our physical body is not capable of hatred, for example. Our physical body may have lusts and desires, but it's not capable of, of making willful choices. That comes from our mind and our heart. So when we are in the flesh, what does it mean? Does it simply mean in this body? No, it means more than that. It means that we are walking in a fleshly, sinful, worldly way, that we are yielding ourselves to the flesh. Uh, to, by the flesh, I mean a sinful nature. Uh, but here's the deal. When we get saved, we're still living in the same body, correct? In other words, you still have to discipline yourself to get up in the morning or to work out or to eat healthily, whatever. So you still have the same flesh, and you still have the same mind, which must be renewed. Our spirit has been born anew, and the Holy Spirit indwells us. So what we, what, the, the fact is, I am, you are a new creation in Jesus. We are not what we were. We are now children of God, and in Jesus we have died to the flesh. The reality is we're still in this world, all right? So we are seated in heavenly places, and you, are, you identify as a child of God. You don't identify as a miserable, wretched, terrible sinner who God's mad at all the time. No, as a believer, you identify as a child of God. You identify as forgiven and free and loved by the Father. But in this world, we have not yet been fully redeemed. We have not yet been totally sanctified. So in an ongoing way, we consider ourselves dead to sin. In an ongoing way, we say, no to the sins of the flesh and the desires of the flesh and the mind and the temptations of the world and Satan. And we say yes to God. So look, remember James Jacob one says that we're tempted when we're drawn away by our own desires. So those desires are still Mm -hmm. there to say that there is quote, no sinful nature in a believer is to say, okay, in my innermost spirit being, there is none, but in the totality of who I am as human being, there still is one. So I say no to that because that's not who I am. And yes to God. So, I mean, that's my best way to explain it practically without getting into a deeper theological breakdown. Is that helpful, that explanation? Yes, and also, you know how Paul says that we're not actually wrestling with the flesh, but we're wrestling with principalities and authorities. So that's where... Well, that's, that's different, though. That's flesh and blood. That's, that's with different. people. In okay. other words, we're not fighting people. We're, we're fighting demonic powers. But in terms of ourselves, yeah, there's the human nature which is not yet redeemed, is always going to go down and disobey. We have been redeemed, but we still are human beings in this world. So we, we, we discipline the body, we renew our minds, we say no to sin and yes to God, because our real nature, who you really are, is a child of God in Jesus as, as a believer. And that's the thing to take hold of. 866-34-TRUTH. Ah, all right. Tell you what, tell you what, just uh, answering Kai here and for everyone, um, we have just tried, as I promised we would, uh, to reach out to Bishop Swan's church and leave him my personal cell phone because I, I continue to make myself accessible. I blocked him on Twitter because of the flood of junk and hatred and vile, ugly, even profane uh, tweets that were flooding into my uh, 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 Twitter feed. But we only got voicemail, and we're not going to leave my cell phone with voicemail. So we'll, we'll try again. Just let you know, hey, I'm a man of my word. 
I'm a man of my word. And sometimes the more aggressively someone attacks me, the more I, I reach out to them. And, uh, hey, that's what I'm going to do. That's what I'm going to do. All right, but I'll do it with a smile because of the grace and love of God. But, you know, You know what hurts, though? To the extent that some of the people involved here in, are, are believers, God knows each heart, right? How does, how does the Lord feel? These are his kids. These are his kids. How does he feel? That, that's that's what's most grievous. How does it look to the world? 866-34-TRUTH. Let us go to Elijah in Montana. Welcome to the line of fire. Oh, hello, Dr. Brown. Hello. I've been, I've been a big fan of yours. I've been well, a big you. fan of yours for a really long while, and I agree. And I agree with you on a lot of things. But uh, uh, the only, my, definitely, my biggest issue with you is not. It was actually not even that big of an issue. It's just a small disagreement, which I don't even think is a salvation issue. It's just the Trinity. Yeah. Well, what's the disagreement? I'd love to hear, Elijah. Well, my biggest thing with the Trinity is that I don't. The main idea behind the Trinity is that I don't know. It does. God never really, really necessarily describes himself as a Trinity or as free people, at least. Well, what, I wouldn't like, even call God people. So let me ask this. Do you yeah. believe there is one God and one God only? Uh, yes. Okay, good. So we're on the same page there. Do you believe mm-hmm. that there is an eternal Father? Absolutely. Do you believe the Father is the same as the Son? Yes. Uh, in, a sense, in a sense, yes. He's more like the... Uh, is he the same as the Son, or does the Father send the Son into the world? And does the Son pray and commune with the Father? Yes, I do believe so. Oh, okay. So then they're not the same. They're two distinct beings, Father and Son. And do you believe that the Son is the exact same as the Holy Spirit? Or does the Son send the Spirit and the Son work through the Spirit? Um, um, actually, actually, yes. But do you mind if I, uh, if I make a comment about that? Yeah, because I, all I'm doing is putting together the biblical evidence and that's why we baptize yeah. in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Because one God, yes, I do. I know. Father, Father, I know Son, and Spirit. Yeah. But the fa- yeah, but the Father also describes himself as like seven spirits at one point, like the seven spirits of the Lord. Well, no, that's you not about that? the, that's not about the Father. There's one reference in Revelation four, but it, it best is understood as meaning the sevenfold Spirit. All I'm saying, yeah. sir. Yeah. All I'm saying, Elijah, is. The Bible clearly speaks of eternal Father, eternal Son, eternal Spirit, and of relationship between Father and Son and Spirit, and they are all distinct, and yet they're one. So that's what we call Trinity. Hebrews 9 yeah. speaks of the eternal Spirit. Uh, John 17, Jesus speaks of the, the glory he enjoyed with the Father before the world began. Uh, the Father sends the Son. The Son makes the Father known. Uh, at, at the baptism of Jesus, you have the Holy Spirit coming upon him and the Father speaking, this is my Son, so Father, Son, Spirit, but one God. So just chew on it. Chew on it. All right? Maybe you're trying to get too technical, but just chew on it. It's pretty f- pretty fundamental from a New Testament viewpoint in terms of 
the revelation of God as we have it. Maybe hard for our minds to wrap around or grasp, but something that I fully receive is biblical truth. Hey, thank you, sir, for the call and for the kind words. Well, I'm looking at how looking at a number on my screen here and about to give that out. I was about to give out the phone number, but there's phones are jammed and it's too little time. So the reason to give that I was about to read a number off my call screen here. Come on. All right, Eric in Boston. We don't need to know that you were holding for 18 minutes and change. I almost said 18. <laughs> I'm I've been looking at your scripture reference here. All right, go go time short. What's your question? Sorry about that. No, no problem. I understand. Um, so basically, this is a passage that most people bring up often to say that Muhammad is prophesied in the Bible, Song of Solomon, yeah. five sixteen. Uh, the word Muhammadim is in there, and I just have a point that I'd like you to confirm. I mean, I'm sure there's a bunch of different ways you can yeah. respond to that, but specifically, um, they say that the im ending is supposed to be like a majestic sort of way of referring to Muhammad. And this is what I'd like to confirm, that according to Hebrew grammar, that's, that's not possible. In other words, we don't have examples of people like Elijah um, being referred to as like Eliyahu im, or, or like, you know, Adam im. Or oh, no, no, like you, never, you never add im to right. a name. No, that, that's 100%. <laughs> and, and by the way, the fact that a word uh, appears in the Bible, I mean— what does that mean? Michael is in the Bible, you know? What's that? I mean, it's, it shows you, if anything is a weak argument that shows you how incredibly impossible it is to say Muhammad was prophesied in the Bible, it's the argument from Song of Solomon. But no, the Eam ending is never, ever, 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 ever added to a name. It can be added to a noun. So Adonim for lords in a majestic way, or Elohim, a plural. So these are plural forms speaking of majesty, power, but never, ever, ever, ever added to a name. It's telling you, it's telling you it can't be a name there. Of course. Perfect. Thank you. All right, we're out of time. 